Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a first-time filmmaker's journey. I'm your host, Josh Lindsay, from the Movie Proposal Podcast. And uh, I'm going to take a quick second to make a plug for the Movie Proposal. It's myself, Sky Jatani, and Jason Rugg discussing something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue, all related to film and sometimes television. But if you like movies and like listening to people talk about movies, you're going to love this podcast. So check us out. But in the meantime, we are talking about a first-time filmmaker's journey, and that filmmaker is with us now. That's Christian Taylor. Hey, Josh Lindsay. Hello. Good to see you. Thank you. And as I mentioned, Jason Rugg is sitting over here as well. Hey, Jason. Hey there. Good to see you. So uh, I'm so happy when we're all together, I just want to say. Okay, good. (laughs) Thank you guys (laughs) so much for taking time out to chat with me. Absolutely. Uh, in fact, I had uh, breakfast uh, with one of the pastors from my church this morning. He and right away he's like, "Hey, how's that documentary thing you're working on?" You know, and so, <laughs> that's awesome. So I got to tell him all about it. But so the word is getting out there, Christian. That's awesome. I can't believe it. That's wonderful. So you just got back from a screening in Colorado. Is that I right? did. There were actually, um, I think we did one, two, three, four screenings in Colorado. Four screenings. Yep. The first screening was with Denver Powell, which is the Police Activities League. Jake Schroeder is the director of that, and he is a Normandy aficionado. Uh, he is just super passionate about history and our veterans and our police force. And so um, he... And I met in Normandy, and he just saw the film and loved it and wants to support it. So he sponsored this screening, and we were so excited, and we set everything up. And then this crazy freak hailstorm happened. And I honestly didn't think anybody was going to show up. So there were a lot of people that canceled. But we ended up having about 10 or 12 that were there. So uh, that was kind of nice. There were a bunch of kids there, which I loved. They were so (laughs) excited. I mean, they came out in a hailstorm to see, you know, this movie. And then they just were beaming from ear to ear. Several of them had been to Normandy with Jake's program. Jake takes these inner inner city schools kids from Denver to Normandy. How, when you say kids, how old are we talking? Um, like middle school, oh, okay. middle school and uh, high school. Okay. And um, he takes them over there and they stay for two weeks and do everything during mm-hmm. the D-Day ceremonies, meet veterans, meet French people. Um, and they just uh, get a worldview that's really different from most of uh, their friends. So um, I was just really excited to meet them. And then I went from there to the 101st Airborne Convention, uh, the 101st First Airborne Association convention. It is retired um, 101st Airborne soldiers who get together two and three times a year to just be together. And they've been supporting our film from the get-go, and I went to show them what the film was. Um, and that was where I learned my first uh, thing not to do. Not to do. Yes. <laughs> So I made a flyer. They asked me to make a flyer. I made a flyer to put at all the tables and hand out to all the festival attendees or conference attendees. And, you know, it was all about the girl who wore freedom. And I thought for sure we were going to fill the seats. Uh, And then I went to talk to somebody about it and say, hey, you're going to come to the film. And the person said, yeah, I saw that, but I didn't have any idea what it was about. So I don't think I'm coming. Oh. 
So basically, I didn't put the log line. I didn't put anything on the flyer. So nobody knew anything about it. And there was no real compelling reason for them to come. I just kind of assumed everybody there would have heard about it. Don't ever assume anything. <laughs> so uh, if you're going to advertise for anything, make sure you, with your film, make sure you have polished up that log line and it's yeah. on everything. So anyway, we didn't have, it was small but mighty. We had 25 people in the first screening and 12 in the other. And um, and then the last one was in Colorado Springs. It was at a retirement um, home and there were a lot of, um, you know, people that lived there, but also some that came in from outside. Yeah, I was, audience. Yeah, I was super excited. We had Holy Post podcast listeners that came. Oh, okay. So that was super exciting um, to meet uh, fans and um, what I learned there, and I kind of have learned this as it's gone on throughout the screenings, is when you have a subtitled film, not showing it in a theater is a bad thing. Because it's hard to see the subtitles? Yes, because everybody's at the same level. Uh, There's no stadium seating, and the screen is usually straight out as opposed right. to up. And so that's been a big challenge, trying to figure out how to arrange the chairs so that everybody can actually read it. And, um, you know, going into screenings and trying to ha- make sure that everyone can see it, hear it, and and read it is super important so that's been a challenge okay so uh, and, and sadly we've had no donations from that trip all right yet yet uh, <laughs> but i think that i learned something else what did you learn christian <laughs> maybe I, you should ask for the money <laughs> yes i think maybe i should be a lot bolder in asking for yeah. money um because i i thought about this this time i'm like what can i do you know, to really make people donate or ask, get people to donate. Because the movie is compelling. They all say they're supportive, but then it's not been translating into dollars. Yeah. And it reminded me of when we were in Normandy. So when we were in Normandy and we were holding these focus group screenings, we would ask people to fill out a form, tell us what they thought, right? And the first few, nobody did. Nobody did. And at some point, Bill said, you know, in the last screening I went to, they wouldn't let people leave unless they filled them out. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay. Well, we'll hold everybody hostage. Right. And they, so, um, and actually, when we were like, you have to fill this out, you can't leave, they did. And we started getting a lot of them in. So then I was like, you know what? You can donate to our film on your phone. All you have to do is go to normandystories.com slash donate on your phone. It takes you right there. It's connected to PayPal. You make a donation and you're done. And I was like, I'm just going to stand there and ask everybody, okay, take out your phone. (laughs) (laughs) You can do this on your phone. It's super easy. So I think I'm just going to have to be a lot bolder about, you know, asking for what we need. This reminds me of a story. Are you familiar with the author, speaker, Robert Kiyosaki? I'm not. He wrote... Um, he's famous for Rich Dad, Poor Dad in the cash flow quadrant. A lot of people in sales and business read his okay. books. And so, um, but he, he has a lot of best-selling books. Um, so he's successful in whatever business he's in, but he's taken it you know, to speaking and writing and so forth. Someone came up to him who said, wanted to be a successful you know, best-selling author and said, what are some tips you have for me so I can also be a best-selling author? And, and he immediately started talking about being good at sales. And that really turned the person off, and they're almost indignant. It was like, I'm not a salesperson; I'm an author. I'm a writer, right? Mm-hmm. You know. And his point from that was, 
that you can be great at something, but you know, you could create a great film or a book or whatever it might be, but if no one knows about it, who you know, who cares, right? right. And so it's just a, another skill set that especially someone who's new needs to learn, kind of like in this example, go for the ask, right? And right. it's for most people it's uncomfortable. You feel like you're pressuring people, but a lot of times people don't know what to do. They're right. just sitting there. Right. And unless you tell them what it is you want, right. They're not going to, you know, pull out their wallets or get involved or whatever it might be. And one of the big things that keeps you from asking for what you want, I think is fear of rejection. Yes. <laughs> I had this funny thing happen this week. I have an 18-year-old who's actually never asked a girl to do anything, and he finally decided that he was going to ask a girl to homecoming. This is his senior year. He's like, my senior year. This I is the worst with girls. Is, yeah. It is the worst. And I have four boys, right? So I've had to watch this, you know, process. It's so painful and um, makes me repent every day as a teenage girl about how I treated <laughs> little boys' hearts. Um, but anyway, so uh, – he has talked to this girl. They are friends. He's liked her, but mostly he'll, you know, he likes girls if they're just friends with them. And so um, he was going to ask her, and he was pretty sure she'd say yes. So we went and got the flowers, and we went and uh, then went to her house. She wasn't home. Her parents there. We talked to them. They were super nice. They're like, come back two hours later. So we went home. We're going to come back. And in the intervening time, she texted him. And she was like, my parents told me that you came to ask me to go to homecoming, and um, I don't want to go with you. And that poor little boy was crushed. Oh, it killed me. And when I was talking to him about how I had done that to boys before and how hard it was, and it did not mean that those boys were bad or terrible. It just meant that. And in fact, I actually respected her. There were times where I was never honest with a boy. I didn't say that. And so at least she didn't, you know, lead him on and whatever. But it made me think of this story that we were at getting his physical for school and his his uh, doctor is like, what do they call them? A primary care physician mm-hmm. was like, did you guys hear about this rejection therapy thing? Rejection theory, theory, not therapy, theory. Oh. Have you heard of this? No. So there's this guy. Just Google rejection theory. I don't, I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name because he's Asian. I'm sorry, dude. But um, <laughs> he, uh, he was so afraid of rejection that he just like it shut him down in every area of his life. And so he heard about rejection theory, and he decided to take it to the next level. So he was going to do 100 days of rejection therapy. And so he was going to go around making big asks everywhere he could Mm. to get them to reject him. So he would start becoming numb to rejection. And um, what he found was, as he would go out and ask these crazy things, people would do them or try to do them. And so like this one woman, and there's this wonderful YouTube video where he goes into a Krispy Kreme and he asks for her to make him Olympic ring donuts. You know, can he make these donuts that look like the Olympic rings? And she did it to the best of her ability and it went viral and that's how now he gives all these TED Talks and stuff. But um, but I think I've been afraid. I, I don't want to bother people or I don't want to, like, you know, uh, make them feel uncomfortable. Right. But at the end of the day, I have to realize that this movie is important and it's not going to get done if people 
don't help. And so I do have to say, take out your phones and please make a donation. I, in terms of dealing with rejection, first of all, I, I would also like to research rejection therapy because I could uh, use some of that in my <laughs> life. But, but what I have learned in the world, because I work in sales, um, is that you never learn to take it personally, like you never, or you never learn to get or like not take it personally. Instead, you learn to have the pity party you have in a much shorter time frame. Right. <laughs> you just get over it faster, right? Because yeah. you'll never change. Because you think like, if I could just learn how to deal with rejection or stop feeling rejected, well, that's never going to happen. Right. What's going to happen is is you're going to take that feeling, have your pity party. In, and have it in two minutes rather than two weeks, yeah. and then get on to the next one. Well, and that's what I told Josh, too. Like, the story of my life is rejection. Like, as an actress, I have auditioned a million times, like, probably way more. And nine times out of ten, the answer is no thank you. Right. And I did have to learn a long time ago, you know, I'm just not their cup of tea today. You know, it's, yes, maybe I didn't do a great job, but ultimately, you know, it's not about me. It's about them. It's about what they want. And um, I think taking that fear away, you know, I had to tell Josh, like, this does not speak to what your value is and who you are as a person. You know, your worth is not dependent on whether or not she likes you. And... um, you know, I, I I think my difficulty in this particular situation is that I don't want to burden people, um, but I think people have found joy in partnering with me, and I have to remember that. Right, and the other thing too you have to remember is when someone is sitting with you in the screening room, they're interested in something at some level. Right, and so maybe they've it's already just, donated time to right, sit there and right, watch right, it. Right, 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 and again, they don't know what else they can do unless you tell them. And the worst thing that's going to happen is they're going to say, "Well, I just can't do this right now," and but. Because you made everyone aware of it, that the, the few that can do something and want to do something will. Yeah. And so you have to ask. But yeah. Well, this was this is not the direction I thought this podcast was going <laughs> to go either. today. But, and actually, we could go on. I could just go on and on about rejection and how to overcome <laughs> that and that kind of stuff. But um, I told Josh, rejection does make you a stronger person. Oh, absolutely. And I I am thankful for it. You know, and it helps you accomplish your goals. I, I keep coming back to Ken Burns. I mean, he's been repeatedly rejected over and over again so much that he takes these binders of his rejections and sits them on his desk and to remind him, you know. Right. Well, all right. Well, that's about all the time we have for today. So, um, everyone, thank you for listening. I hope you learned something about going for the ask and dealing with rejection because if you're going to make a film... Yep. You're going to deal with it, right? Absolutely. All right. Well, hey, um, again, thank you for listening to Documentary First where we believe everyone has a story to tell. And you can be the one to tell it. Absolutely. 